All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. Today, I am joined by the Falcoholic himself, Dave Choate. He's going to help me sort of put a button on free agency, as well as discuss what the Falcons' upcoming draft plans are going to be. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years at FalcFans.com, on Twitter at FalcFans, and, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. I am joined by an illustrious guest, Dave Choate, who has been covering the Falcons for many years over at The Falcoholic. You know him on Twitter at The Falcoholic. Dave, welcome back to the show, my friend. It's good to be back. All right, Dave, let's talk a little bit about free agency. I've spent a lot of time over the last month talking to myself, amongst myself, to the listeners, giving my thoughts, but it's nice to get somebody else's perspective on this. And I'm curious, sort of, did Falcons free agency live up to and or exceed your expectations? You know, my expectations were so low this year that it did actually manage to exceed it, um, even though I've been a little bit surprised that they stopped where they did. Um, you know, the fact that they've gotten two players out of this class that uh, they clearly view as starters is, is definitely more than I expected. I've just been a little bit surprised to see them really hardly touch the defensive side of the ball at all. Um, but certainly if Carpenter and Brown can be, you know, quality starting guards for the Falcons. They're already a better team than they were, uh, you know, a month, two months, three months ago. Yeah, I do want to circle back to sort of the lack of uh, activity on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, I want to get your further thoughts on, on Carpenter and Brown. And do you feel like this is sort of a calculated signing um, to, you know, really sort of get that hashtag physical uh, form back to the offensive line by getting two guys that are a little bit bigger than sort of traditionally what the Falcons have targeted in recent years in their outside zone scheme. Yeah, I think, you know, that that was the, the thing that kind of scared me about those signings at first because I think everybody's noted the the possible similarities to the 2014 offseason where all we heard about was how they had to get, you know, uh, bigger and tougher and meaner, the toughest crusade, however you wanted to to phrase it. And then they go out and sign two beefy guards. Um, you know, my initial thought with both of those guys was, you know, this is going to uh, signal a, a potentially significant shift in the way they're running their offense under Dirk Cutter. Not saying that won't happen, but, you know, I probably overreacted a little bit to that. I still think you're going to see you know, uh, zone looks, but it's probably going to be a mix of inside and outside zone. They're probably, you know, signaling a change in the way they're going to run the ball by letting Tevin Coleman walk, which I guess we all expected. Um, but certainly with, with Cutter at the helm, it's not going to be quite the same offense we got used to with Steve Sarkeesian. Um, hopefully for the better, although I know we've discussed that uh, neither of us were exactly blown away by the new coordinator in the first place. But you know, putting some money and, and some creativity into the guard position is, is something that they've needed to do for a while now. So it was good to see them go out there and address it, even if it wasn't the two guys I expected. Yeah, you know, it, it wasn't a, a great free agent class um, on the offensive line. There was a couple of named guys, but we saw several of those guys get paid a lot of money 
to to wind up in the places that they went. Guys like Trip Brown, Jawan James, and Roger Saffold, among others. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were in the I hope they sign Roger Saffold camp. I was. Um, I was maybe not good at math, but I was hoping. <laughs> yeah. No, it happens, man. It all happens. Like uh, <laughs> you, you look at sort of the limitation that they had, sort of with the salary cap, which you know many people have, and I myself have sort of argued that was a little self-imposed with the whole you know keeping Vic Beasley thing that wasn't necessarily the most popular move. Uh, I'm curious, sort of, where did you land on sort of that? Did you see that as you know? as some people did, where it was like, oh, no, the sky is falling, and why are the Falcons paying Big Beasy $13 million, and now this is going to prevent them from getting the guys that I want them to sign, and, and you know, Dan Quinn and company, they're going to get fired, or all these sort of things. Or did it make sense in your eyes, or, you know, at least wasn't as dramatic if it did make the, the sort of sense in your eyes? I guess I wasn't quite that dramatic, although I really... But... <laughs> The depth of that one. Um, but, you know, at the same time, to me, what what kind of rankles about this is, you know, it's, again, it's Dan Quinn taking over the defense, so he's going with the very first guy he drafted for the Falcons, and, and he's going to try to make that work. And, you know, I, I respect that, and I, I understand that, you know, you weren't going to get a whole lot of, um, you know, affordable options who would have been, you know, in the team's eyes anyways, what Vic Beasley could be. I, I do think what doesn't make a lot of sense is, you know, if, if he stinks this year again, um, you know, that's probably going to be a major problem for this defense. It could drag Dan Quinn down with it. Um, if he's really great, chances are he's going to price himself out of what the Falcons would want to pay for him anyways. So, you know, in my eyes, unless they have a plan in place to, to keep him around for the long term, if he does rebound, it, it just doesn't make a ton of sense it's kind of move you make that you know you're you're all in for 2019 he's going to be a guy that's going to help push you over the hump but you know given his track record that just doesn't fit so it's you know I, I can see it from the team's perspective but it was definitely a move especially with the cost associated with it that didn't make a lot of sense to me ultimately fair enough Um, We'll come back and talk a little bit about sort of Dave's thoughts on the team's lack of moves on the defensive side of the ball and sort of what that is telling us, what the team is telling us in that regard. But uh, before we get there, I want you guys to remember that you can get this show, Locked on Falcons, every day on the new Himalaya podcast app. Go ahead, subscribe to Locked on Falcons. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya and their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Falcons, your favorite daily Locked on Podcast network show. So, Dave, let's talk about the defense. And you you already sort of mentioned this um, two things that I do want to dig deeper on with the whole idea of Dan Quinn betting on himself, but also the fact that the Falcons really didn't touch the defense um, this free agency. And, and does that sort of, you know, Captain Obvious over here, but does that indicate that the team is going to invest heavily on the defensive side of the ball uh, in the draft in a couple of weeks from now? Yeah, I think that it, all indications are pointing that way. And I, I know this team loves, um, you know, throwing us curveballs more than they love just about anything else. But at this point, it feels like they 
sort of did everything on their checklist on the offensive side of the ball, except potentially getting that next, uh, you know, long-term right tackle, which I think is still very much in play in the first round. But you could see them using whatever combination of, you know, selections they wind up with after Dimitrov trades up at least once. Um, Yeah, which I I think is a lock. I feel like that's a lock to happen this year. Um, But using that primarily on the defensive side of the ball, they have a ton of needs there. Um, You know, some needs that aren't maybe as huge this year, like, you could argue, you know, um, defensive end and defensive tackle. You know, they are needs, but you have maybe three guys that you could use credibly in a rotation there. Um, but a year from now, you know, Beasley might be gone at defensive end. Jack Crawford might not come back at defensive tackle. So, you know, there's a lot that they can do with their draft capital this year to improve that defense. And I think where Dan Quinn is Dan Quinn, and he loves adding young athletic defenders to that defense. I think that's sort of the plan. He's, he is betting on himself and he's betting on himself to get the guys that are going to make that kind of, you know, Keanu Neal, Deion Jones, um, year one impact. I'm, I'm curious to dig a little deeper on that because, you know, typically with rookies, you don't always expect them to come in and, and light the world on fire. We've seen that a number of times with some of the picks. We've seen guys like you mentioned that came in and were pretty successful early in their uh, careers right away, like Keanu Neal, like Deion Jones, but we've also seen guys like Isaiah Oliver and Jalen Collins and uh, Duke Riley and, and 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 to a lesser extent, Dak McKinley, not necessarily come in and, and really sort of move the needle forward. So I'm curious, sort of thinking about that, does that mean to you that the team is, is definitely expecting their rookie class to come in and contribute, or could it mean simply that they don't necessarily look at this defense as a unit that needs to be completely revamped despite the struggles last year. And and basically so far, the biggest change that we've seen so far on that side of the ball is the change in in coaching staff and sort of it fits maybe the narrative that people were pushing, you know, six months ago or nine months ago last offseason, which was, this is one of the more talented defenses in the league and it has the upside to be one of the better defenses in the league, and, and so, you know, it doesn't seem like Dan Quinn is sort of perpetuating that with sort of not necessarily addressing defense and free agency and, and basically, you know, relying on a bunch of rookies that may or may not impact right away to, you know, sort of improve that unit. I think that's a great uh, great way to look at it. And, you know, I'm going to, as is typical of me, weasel a little bit and kind of go in between those two. Um, and say that I, I do think that, you know, this team is expecting and, and I think needs one or two guys at least that they draft this year to be immediate contributors. Um, I think that there are just a few too many holes on this team, even considering, you know, Ricardo Allen and Keanu Neal are back in, you know, back to their old selves in week one. Um, there's just not enough, you know, quality across the board I think for them to totally bet on the defense but on the other side of that to your point to something that I myself thought heading into last year before it all fell apart this is a defense that does have some top end talent on it um you know there are players like Tack who and Isaiah Oliver for that matter who could take a big step forward this year 
Um, and you've certainly got your handful of stars too. So I think, you know, Quinn clearly thinks it was significant, um, that the coaching was holding the team back or he probably wouldn't have made that change, um, with a guy that he, you know, has always said he likes and respects getting him out of there and installing himself for the defense. So, you know, I think if this defense was unchanged today, it would not be good enough. Um, I think that even so, um, it is going to be a significant bet on the talent at hand and that Quinn can work some magic that maybe Mark Juan Manuel couldn't do or, or Dan Quinn perceive that he couldn't do. Well, fair. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, as I often say on this podcast, the truth is often in the middle uh, when it comes to some of these uh, takes and opinions where it's like it does seem like the Falcons are going in that direction, but at the same time it, you kind of sit there and like, I, I don't know if we should fully embrace that because I do think that there were some cracks in the defense last year um, despite the injuries, even, you know, going beyond the injuries that need to be addressed. And I think you're right in terms of getting – some guys um, that can contribute right away. I'm, I'm curious, sort of, maybe a unit in particular. I'm, I'm guessing you're thinking on the defensive line, but you know, if, if you have a different perspective, is that where you're looking for some guys that can come in right away and contribute? I think that's one of the spots. I think the other is going to be um, cornerback. I, I do have a hunch that the team will go on the earlier side after cornerback. Um, you know, I think the, the expectation for me all along has been, been that Casey is going to uh, step in at cornerback and they're going to ask him to contribute there. But really, you're looking at, you know, Oliver's kind of a first-year starter here, and then Casey would be transitioning back to cornerback. Um, there's room for another guy there. I think that the team is going to get someone that they expect to be able to contribute right away in some fashion there. Um, but the other piece is obviously to me, the, the defensive end rotation in particular, I think there's definitely talent that could be added at defensive tackle, but all that it's going to take is, is one of Beasley or McKinley or God forbid both, um, you know, getting off to a slow start or having a lackluster season. And that group is, is, goes from being sort of promising, but maybe not great to, to not good at all. So to me, that's where they have to sometime in the drafts, first or second day, get a guy that they feel can play, you know, 25, 30, 35 snaps a game and, and play at a reasonably high level. Okay. We'll get deeper into the draft and including Dave's thoughts on why he seems so confident that the Falcons are going to trade up, but I want to let you guys know that baseball season is back. You can find a growing list of daily Major League Baseball shows on the Locked On Podcast Network, also on the new Himalaya Podcast app. Download Himalaya in your app store, then subscribe to your favorite daily baseball podcasts, such as Locked On Braves, hosted by Dylan Short, your team every day. So Dave, you mentioned earlier that the you, you feel like it's a lock that the Falcons are going to trade up. At some point in this draft, do you feel that's a lock in round one, or do you just sort of like think at some point in the draft that they will trade up? I think it's at some point, but it really would not surprise me if it was in the first round. I think, you know, Dimitrov rarely goes, you know, more than a year in between big trades up, um, whether it's in the third round, the fifth round, the first round. Um, and, you know, the number of first round moves that he's made over the years when this team feels they need that impact player, um, you know, whether it be a Julio Jones, whether it be Desmond Trufant, whether it be 
Tack McKinley. Uh, you know, that list is, is fairly extensive. So I think this year, given the potential for a huge run on really linemen on both sides of the ball um, early on in this draft, uh, you know, I'm hoping that a couple of teams do go for quarterbacks and kind of expand the options for the Falcons at 14. But I think if they feel they're in danger of missing out on the guy they love, um, they will move up and do that. Um, I think it's possible you'll see them do something similar to what they did uh, the year they traded up for Tack and, you know, sort of make that move up in the first round and then try to pick up some more draft capital later. But with nine picks, you can argue that, you know, if they play their cards right, they'll still have plenty of selections. Yeah, I think you're right there. And um, it, it does seem like they have positioned themselves, and this was something I talked about on yesterday's episode of this podcast, that they have sort of positioned themselves to be flexible, that if they need to move up in this draft, that they can, um, particularly in round one, because they have, you know, that sort of that ammunition with those uh, nine picks. Um and with addressing some of the more pressing needs, um, particularly on the offensive line and free agency, um, and, and filling some sort of depth roles here or there with pickups like at the tight end position and Kenyon Barner and re-signing guys like Justin Hardy, among others. Um, but also, you know, again, I think you, you nailed it in terms of looking at how the draft actually falls and we may get to draft night and it falls the way that I think we're all sort of hoping it will. And, and, you know, whoever that guy is that the team covets, uh, particularly, uh, you know, up front on the defensive line or potentially on the offensive line, as you mentioned, sort of is there available for them at 14 and they can sort of then use those draft picks later on for other things like, you know, filling other needs and filling depth and, and maybe trading back in the draft and, and maybe picking up picks in 2020 um, if they don't necessarily feel like there's, you know, pressing issues um, that they need to fill in 2019 and whatnot. So um, I think they have done a good job sort of pivoting and positioning themselves to be aggressive if they need to be. And, you know, that's really all you can ask for. It, it's it's always fascinating because the years, it seems like, and, and I'm curious if you sort of agree with this, it seems like the years when we're really confident that they're going to trade up, they don't trade up, and the years where it's kind of like, oh, they probably shouldn't trade up this year. They need to you know, get as many picks as possible or, or keep as many picks, and they wind up trading up or something like this. Do you seem to get that same perception? I do. You know, and it it's goes back to, I think, I almost think that Dimitrov delights, and, and it's not just him obviously making these decisions, but kind of delights in subverting the expectations that the fan base has. And, you know, this year, I think where they could credibly, you know, use almost all of their picks really um, to improve this team, given the number of holes they have either right now or in the immediate future. I think this feels like a year where they don't need to trade up per se. Um, so it feels like a year it's probably going to happen again, especially with some of the elite talent that's available at the positions they really do need. Um, I'm curious if you're willing to go on record, uh, what are we, 23 days, 24 days out from the draft and and feel like you feel like, you know, there's one particular player that you think the team will land in round one? Yeah, you know, I, I 
think I said in the roundtable last week, it feels to me like the guy that they're going to actually go for here is going to be an offensive lineman. And I think it's, they haven't done much with right tackle um, besides re-signing Ty Sombrello, which feels like it's a stopgap measure at best. I mean, I suppose that you could forego doing that, but there are a handful of really um, talented right tackle prospects here that are going to be available early on. I think the team feels like with the strength of the defensive line class that they can probably get guys they like on the second day, maybe even the third day. So it would not surprise me at all to see them go with um, a Jawan Taylor or a Jonah Williams if he makes it that far. I think um, Cody Ford is the other name to watch just because they've been linked to him. Um, and that guarantees very little, but sometimes there's a little bit of fire with that smoke. So I'll go on record and say in a long-winded way that I, I think they're going to end up picking a right tackle. I couldn't tell you who exactly that's going to be yet. Yeah, and I think Cody Ford would also sort of fit in with you know that sort of Carpenter Brown of getting bigger, beefier guys as well. Um, I'm curious, you know, in terms of is there any particular prospect that you're sort of coveting that you would you know do the the jig, uh, maybe some some river dancing on draft night if the Falcons do wind up uh, landing? Is there a, you know an apple of your eye, so to speak? There is, and it's uh, it's definitely Ed Oliver. It's been you know a long time now where I've I've looked at him as that guy that you know maybe it's not the single biggest positional need that the Falcons have. I still think that really is going to wind up being edge rusher over the next few years. But um, he's just a, a prospect I like a great deal. I think he's got a ton of talent. I think obviously the uh, secret's kind of um, out at this point with him um everybody knows how good he is he could very well go top five if a team likes him enough but uh, if, if you could get that guy next to Grady Jarrett I think it takes care of a lot of problems that this team has had over the years and it certainly turns that defensive line into a very tricky unit to play so if they're going to move up I you know I would be plenty happy with Quinn and Williams as well I would I would be fine with Brian Burns but I, I hope it's Oliver if we, you know, see that little notification pop up that they're moving up. Okay. Well, Dave, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your draft and free agency thoughts. Uh, let the people know, uh, you know, as we're recording this on April Fool's Day, you had some fun on the, the Falcoholic today. But uh, in more serious uh, sort of uh, topics and, and articles that you guys are going to be pumping out uh, this week and in the coming days, what else you got on deck? Yeah, so um, you know we have a, another mock draft coming from Eric Robinson. Uh, probably by the time this is published, certainly you'll be seeing that. Um, and I think there's it's a good one. People will like it. Although I never really know what they'll like for mock drafts. Um, we're going to look at the history of Thomas Dimitrov trading up, trading down in the draft, just to kind of get us prepared for that. And we'll be talking a little bit about you know as we get closer here, especially who do we really think they're going to wind up with and why is that a good fit or why is it not? So I'm hoping that this will be one of those years we might actually know a little bit ahead of time. I'm curious about that uh, history of Thomas Dimitrov trade. You guys drop that every year. Uh, you know, does it, does it take a lot of editing to, you know, update it year after year? Yeah, this time I actually just wrote it from scratch because um, I, embarrassingly, I couldn't find last year's version. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sad as that is. 
but it was kind of fun to go back through again and, and look at it um, with a semi-fresh set of eyes and just say, okay, you know, what what was what were all these trades? And, you know, I had actually forgotten about some of those fifth-round trades, and that man loves to trade up in the fifth round, I'll tell you. There you go. I, I was listening, I think, to a podcast or somebody was talking about Bill Belichick and how he hates fifth-round picks, and he always trades out of the fifth round. And I I, yeah. I I didn't necessarily go and fact check it, but like I remember many years ago, looking at the fifth round and and looking at sort of the hit rate of draft picks in round five, and this was maybe like ten years ago, so it was a while ago. But it seemed like the hit rate in round five was like the worst in the draft. I know the Falcons had like a long streak of like missing on fifth round picks for a long time, like in the late nineties and early two thousands. And I, I just wonder if, like, Belichick sort of saw similar data and just basically, like, I'm never drafting a fifth-round pick ever again, and we're just going to move on. I just That was just interesting, you know, and, and you mentioning sort of Dimitrov trading up. Maybe that was something that rubbed off uh, from his New England days. Yeah, it, and it kills me, too, because they actually have um, done a fairly good job, this current regime anyways, getting useful players in the fifth round, but... You know, when they actually move up and get them, I think the only one that has actually worked out well for them has been Grady Jarrett, which I guess kind of justifies the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. If you can, if you can get a Grady Jarrett once every five years, I think it'll work out just fine for you. Yeah, no, I, I'd take it once every three, but I can't be greedy. Okay, yeah. Uh, Dave, pump the brakes a little bit on that. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right, Dave. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm sure I'll be talking with you. Uh, later on uh and and sort of if not before the draft and after the draft to sort of get your thoughts on who the falcons actually wound up picking and and the the curveballs that they wound up throwing at us that completely caught us off guard so i look forward to that conversation my friend me too and let's hope it's somebody we both like yes yes well you know my standards for liking a a Falcon player are a lot harder to meet than than yours but uh yeah we'll, we'll we'll hopefully see that We'll hopefully get there. All right, man. Um, have a good one. Take it easy. All right, guys. Dave Chope, doing it again. Back for the 75th time. I don't know how many times Dave's been on the podcast, but it's been a bunch. Always enjoy the conversations I have with Dave. And uh, if you didn't catch it at the beginning of the show, uh, you can find Dave on Twitter at TheFalcoholic. Um, so go check out that. Twitter and website, you know what to do. I'm sure most of you guys listening to this podcast are fully aware of the Falcoholic. It would be weird if you weren't, but, uh, you know, the two of you that have been castaways on a remote Pacific island for the last 14 years, for some reason, that are, came back to the mainland and decided to start listening to a daily Falcons podcast maybe not have heard of the Falcoholic, so I appreciate the downloads. <laughs> Clearly I have nothing else to say. So I'm gonna leave it at that guys. Until then. You are locked on Falcons. Your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.